Well, thanks again for joining us as we continue our look through the um, readings for our Walk Through the Bible Plan for 2021. This week we're on week three, and the scriptures we would have been on are Genesis 28 through 40, and then Mark 11 through 15 with Psalms 11, 145, and Psalm 12 mixed in there. And I hope, again, that you are really um, enjoying this time that we get to spend together, even though it's apart. Uh, we get to read the same scriptures, and the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts through those things together. And I hope that you are having some opportunities to have conversations with others about what you're reading and what God has worked in your heart. Um, what I'd like to do today is do something a little bit different than we have the past couple of weeks. And I would like to take just a few minutes and talk about a type or typology in the Old Testament and the New Testament and God's Word. And I would like to just look at a couple of passages from Genesis 37 and Mark chapter 14 and compare and contrast those things as we get a really great example here of what a type is and why it's important for us as we read God's Word and we allow that to work in our heart. Um, so I just want to say a quick prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time as we get started. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for the opportunity to read your word, to learn more about you and more about who you are and how you have um, revealed yourself to us. And God, we're just excited for how you're going to work in us through this time. I just pray that you would help my words to be clear here um, this afternoon, God, and just help us as we, as we take a, a few minutes and just look at how you have revealed yourself to us so wonderfully and in so many different ways through your word. We thank you for all that you've done, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you might be thinking to yourself, what is a type, or what is typology? And I want to give you a short, um, hopefully a succinct definition of what a type is, and then what typology is as well. Now, obviously, you know we don't have a, a lot of time here to fully expand this thought. I'd be happy to answer questions or talk about this more with you. Um, so this is kind of a real cursory look at typology as we study the Bible together. But a type is this. I think a type is a special form of prophecy in which the Old Testament is interpreted in light of the New Testament. So a type in the Old Testament is a historical person, object, event, um, or institution, which in some way foreshadows a particular aspect of the person or work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So a type must be intended by God and must pictorially foreshadow some aspect of the redemption that was achieved through Christ's incarnation. So a type in the Old Testament is that person, place, thing, or event that really points us to who Jesus is and what he came to. To do Now, as I say that, I want you to be careful that as you read the Old Testament, you don't continually read the New Testament back into it. Because the Old Testament was given to God's people first. It was given at a specific time, in a specific way, to people at a specific place. And they did not have a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Or, or rather, they didn't have a full revelation of who Jesus Christ was, is through God's Word. I don't think we probably have a full understanding of who Jesus is and may never will, never will especially until we get to glory with Him. But um, a type is that thing in the Old Testament that points us to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, helps us see who He is. 
So typology is that study of types. Typology is a God-ordained, author-intended, historical correspondence and escalation, so bringing something up there in significance between persons, events, or institutions across the Bible's redemptive historical story. So we see those types, those things, those events, those people, those things happening so that we get the swell in the story and we get a little deeper understanding of who God is and what he is going to do. And so we see that redemptive historical thread that weaves its way all the way through Scripture, all the way from when God intended his creation to be in the beginning of Genesis to what he is going to redeem it to in the book of Revelation. And all throughout Scripture, we get this wonderful story of how he is going to do that. Now, we are so blessed to know that that redemptive story culminates in Jesus Christ. You know, so as we read through the Old Testament and we look for how the offer authors, through the intent of the Holy Spirit, that they pointed people to God's faithfulness by revealing to us some aspect of who the Messiah is or what he was going to do. And so what I'd like to do is just give you a little comparison and contrast. And as always, I hope that you have your copy of God's Word with you there. And what I want to do is look at Genesis 37, which was in our reading, and then Mark chapter 14, which was also in our reading this past week. And these just jumped out to me as we went through this, this reading, and I thought we would maybe just highlight some of these things together. So in Genesis chapter 37, we get introduced to one of the main characters of the book of Genesis for sure, but I would say even of the Old Testament, the history of Israel. And we are, we are introduced to Joseph here. And Joseph is a son of, of Jacob, um, who is now called Israel, um, is who we are introduced to here. And as you read through this, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 37 um, here for us today, but I would love for you to just mark some of these things as you go through. You think, that is really something that points us um, towards who Jesus Christ is. And as you read through that story, which I hope that you have, if not, I hope that you will read the, take the time to read that, you know, we see that Joseph was sent to his brothers. Israel calls him in and he says, I want you to go and I want you to check on who um, or what the brothers are doing and, and how, they, how they are doing with the flock. And so we see that happening down in verses 12 and on as we go through that story. Um, so we see that Joseph then is being sent from the father. He goes as a representative of his father. It's not just that he was going to see what was going on. He was actually going to give a report. He was a representative of Israel, of Jacob. And we see that happening in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph we see is is misunderstood and mistreated, and I think some of that is self-imposed, you know, as he goes to his brothers and he rubs it in their face a little bit that he had this dream that he's going to rule over them, that he's going to be lifted up over them. Obviously, nobody wants to hear that from their younger sibling, but I think he is misunderstood. Maybe he even misunderstands um, his purpose in that, but then he is mistreated because of that. As you go on through the story, we see that Joseph finally finds his brothers, and when that happens, this robe that he had, this, this coat of many colors, that's verse 23, when he came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And then they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it, in verse 24. You know, that robe is, is really significant in the story. 
because the father gave that to Joseph as a representation of his glory, of his standing, of his social place in the family, that he was the favored one. He was the representative of the father. He was getting special treatment from the father. And so you might even think of that robe as his glory, those things that he had that other people did not. And we see that that is stripped from him and that it is covered in the blood of a sacrificial animal. You go down there and you see that they killed a goat and they covered that robe in that blood. And that's so significant once again, you know, that we see that that blood that require is required for the forgiveness of sin. And we see the the animals, one of the animals that God is going to require through the through the law as a sacrifice. That is what is used to cover Joseph's robe, his glory that, that is um, covered with that blood. As you go on through the story there, you see that Joseph is sold into slavery, is separated from his family. And you know, as we're going to continue reading through the book of Genesis here and get a, a, a bigger picture of Joseph's life, you see that he remains faithful to God in all of that. So flip over with me now to the, the book of Mark and look at Mark chapter 14. Now, you may be thinking, well, I see a lot of those similarities between Joseph and Jesus Christ already. And I think you could go through that whole list and punch in where um, you know, Jesus experiences those things. He was sent to his brothers. He's a representative of the Father. He's misunderstood and mistreated. You know, he's stripped of his glory, probably not stripped. He, he gives that up, is what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. But he does that so that we might know God. And he's covered in the blood of a sacrificial animal, his own blood, the perfect sacrifice, the one who's going to make the way for us to be reunited with God. He's not sold into 400 years of slavery as the Egyptians were, but he does spend time separated from the Father for our good and for our glory. And yet, even in the midst of all of those really hard things, we see that Jesus remains faithful to God. And as you go through Mark chapter 14, that's, that's what you see. You see him anointed here, um, and that is being anointed for burial, preparing him for what he must go and do. And then we get the account of, of Judas betraying him, his brother, one that he has spent many years of his life building into, serving with, teaching, ministering to the whole time, knowing exactly what Judas was going to do. But he remains faithful. In verse 12 of chapter 14, you see that um, he, he institutes the, the Lord's Supper here as he's celebrating the, the Passover with his disciples. And, and don't miss this little comment that's almost in passing in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? When they sacrificed the Passover Lamb. You know, Mark is trying to show throughout his entire book here that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one whom God is going to use to redeem Israel. And so it, it had to be on this day when they sacrificed the Passover lamb that he would begin this process of, of redemption, this process of being the perfect sacrifice. Because that's the day that God had instituted for the people. And we see then that you know the Lord, he institutes the Lord's Supper 
um, for his disciples so that they might remember what he has done, so that we might remember what he has done. And he goes on, he, he foretells the denial and the betrayal that he will experience from his, um, from his disciples, from his closest friends, the one who should have had his back. They, they all turn and they run as you get down into verse 50 there. They all left him and fled. It's just a striking picture, again, of what happened to Joseph as a type of Jesus, as foreshadowing, you know, of God showing what is going to happen. So as you read through the Old Testament, you should look for how it points to Jesus. You should look for how those different events, those things, especially that the story swells and, and the authors um, take time to explain more fully what is happening, how they point to the Messiah, the one who is going to redeem us. But you should also be careful that you don't just always read everything from the New Testament back in to the old. You should look for how it reminds us in the Old Testament of God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. And we see that happening, you know, as, as God shared his covenant with Abraham and then he continues his promises through the lives of the patriarchs. And we see Joseph here, and he is the one who the seed will, will come through. God restores and redeems and he saves him, and in the process of doing so, saves his people, saves the nation of Israel from Pharaoh so many years later. That is encouraging for us as we see God's faithfulness and we see God's promises come to fruition and how he always keeps his word. If you're in the book of Mark there still, flip back to chapter 13. I want to pause, I guess divert from, from thinking about typology here to just encouraging you with the, the words that happen in Mark chapter 13. I, I would hope that you would read Mark 13 a few more times as in the coming weeks because the, the words are just so fitting to us and where we are as the church and where we are as the, the nation of America and God's people in that. You know, many of us are feeling apprehensive or unsettled or even afraid with the changeover in administrations in our nation, and you know, rightfully so. There have been many things that have happened that have pointed to the fact that religious freedom, freedom of speech, the sanctity of life, those things are all going to come under attack in the coming days. I want to remind you of two things, and this is what I was reminded of as I read through Mark chapter 13. You know, Jesus here gives us the signs of the end of the age, and he says here in verse 5, See to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand of what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will be delivered 
will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, then children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And as you continue through Mark chapter 13 there, you get this promise of the coming of man, and we we see Jesus teaching his disciples again that there's going to be a lot of pain, there's going to be a lot of suffering, but the glory that they will receive in the end is totally worth that. So I want to remind you of two things from that passage I just read there. And the first is that God is absolutely sovereign. Nothing that has happened in 2020 or the first 20 days of 2021 has taken God by surprise. He is absolutely in control. We're told that in the book of Job and um, chapter 42 and Psalm 2, they tell us that he laughs at the crooked and perverse plans of the wicked. Why? Because he knows all things and he is in control of all things and he is sovereignly working all things together for his glory and for our good, as we are reminded in Romans 8, 28. You can rest in the God whom after the, the tragedy that's going to happen here in Mark as we read through that, rose Jesus from the dead. And he is the one whose steadfast love endures forever. He is the one whose mercies never come to an end. He is the one who gives us those things each and every morning. And he says to us here in Mark 13, verse 9, to be on our guard. We can be on our guard, but we don't have to worry because we know that God is sovereign and that he is in control and for those who will endure, we will be saved. Mark 13, 13. The second thing I want to remind you of here is that even though the playing field has changed slightly and probably will change even more over the coming years to one that is more difficult, our mission as Christians has not changed. Absolutely has not changed. We are to live for the purpose of loving God, knowing Him, of loving people, showing them who God is. That is our mission. And even when we're faced with adversity, even when we are faced with hard times, even when we face struggles, our mission has not changed. And God's promise is that He will be with us. And that's a wonderful promise we get here in Mark chapter 13, that we don't have to be anxious or afraid when people come against us because it is not us speaking, it is the Holy Spirit speaking and living inside of us. And even when some really bad things happen, those are bad things that are described in Mark chapter 13, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God is working in us and he is working through us. And so we know the goal. We know the mission. And so we should be diligent to stay on missions. And yes, I think we probably need to buckle in. As the new administration takes over in America, it seems that we will increasingly understand the the pain and the, the brokenness that comes from God letting people um, back to their own desires, as he talks about in Romans chapter 1. But, but we know we know that God is in control and that we have a job to do. So, so as you continue to read his word, as you continue to allow that to work in your heart, I pray that you are strengthened for those times and that you are confident in the fact that God will not leave you alone, that he is going to work in you and he's going to work for you. 
as you read his word. I pray that you are encouraged by that and that you see God's wonderful redemptive plan in your life the same way that you see it weaving all through the story of Scripture. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, and I just would invite any questions through email, text message, through Messenger um, that you have regarding the Scripture we have been reading or other questions as well. would love to talk over those things with you. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Continue on in your reading as we finish up um, the book of Genesis and Mark and get into one of the other um, Gospels and I'm sorry, we're going into the epistles next week in the book of Galatians. So I hope that you enjoy that in reading, and we will see you next time.